Hi, I'm Sean McCambridge, Managing Director of Stellar Recruitment. Thanks for joining me on this journey to uncover the secrets of inspirational leaders. The reason I put this together is to share the unique journeys of these successful individuals and really unpack how they've achieved success and hopefully inspire others to do similar things. So thanks for tuning in and listening, and I hope you enjoy the series. So Anthony, thanks for joining us on the Inspirational Podcast Series. We might just start with who is Anthony Yap, where have you come from, what's your story? So I was born here in Brisbane. My parents were from Malaysia, so they actually came over as students when they were at university. They lived in Melbourne and uh, decided to eventually reside in Brisbane. So grew up on the north side, went to Nudgee College and then did uh, a Bachelor of Pharmacy, and then that took me into the business that I am in today. Great. Well, just give the listeners a bit of an overview of your business, and and give us an indication of scale. Yeah. So, I run a business called Good Price Pharmacy Warehouse. In the group, we've got 50 stores. We're across six states. We have about 800 employees, and we do about 300 million annually. Wow. 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 So... As I understand it, you were 23, you're a manager at Terry White Pharmacy, you decide to risk all of this, you somehow uh, come up with $50,000 startup capital to start your own company. Why did you do that? And talk us through the moment when you thought, this is what I'm gonna do. Pharmacy was a great profession because I was always into science and it was always a logical progression to do something like medicine after. But once I graduated from pharmacy and actually went into the retail setting, I really enjoyed that whole aspect of it. And the guy that I worked for owned six or seven pharmacies. And I thought, it's the perfect balance of doing this pharmacy and being a pharmacist and then actually being able to look at the business side of it as well. And I thought that was really exciting. At 23, so saved up a lot of money. I had three jobs did a lot of share investments, and it was really lucky because when I actually sold out in 2001, it was just before that dot-com crash. So all these shares were just multiplying, and because I was trying to buy a business, I had to sell out. So I actually sold out a couple of months before it all crashed. So it was actually uh, a very, very lucky step indeed, and I thought, I want to try it for myself. So stepped out and uh, took the step in buying my first pharmacy. Now that's great. I mean, I understand that you did very well at Nudgee academically. So further to your, your book smarts, how did you shape your business acumen? You sort of talked about some of those things there in terms of a desire to sort of uh, you know, operate a business perhaps. So how did you shape those commercial skills? So I think a lot of it was trial and error. Sure. And it was lucky because the owner that I was actually working for, he owned multiple sites. He was a person that actually empowered the managers to sort of work work it out themselves. When I started, I was basically doing all the jobs in the pharmacy, from being a pharmacy assistant, being the stock controller, the manager, the pharmacist in charge, and pretty much everything else in between. So by doing everything from the ground up, you could understand what the accountability of each role was. It enabled you to manage better as the team grew 
So it was probably the best learning experience. And working under a banner like Terry White's back in 2000 was a real learning experience because they were the first brand to really sort of systemize stuff so that they could replicate it across a whole network. And I understood from that point the importance of having really good policies and procedures so that as you expand it, you are able to duplicate that from one site to another. Yeah, fantastic. Just building on that question a little bit, they say it's often easy to connect the dots looking back. So when you look back, what were some of your your most sort of pivotal or critical business decisions and why? What I would consider one of my career-changing moments happened when we were opening our, it was either our third or fourth store at Mount Gravatt. So we just started the big box format model and we were, I think, 24, 25 years of age. We learned that our biggest competitor, which was Chemist Warehouse, had bought the stores two doors down from us and were going to open up in competition within about a week of our opening. So we thought it was crazy. We set up a meeting with uh, the owners of that store and they had over you know, 30 or 40 years experience between them. They owned about 60 stores. They had about a quarter of a billion turnover and we were starting our third or fourth store. And they gave us an ultimatum to actually close down and take a loss at that site or they would actually spend $3 million to put us out of business so that we would slowly bleed to death. Wow. And they gave us 24 hours to decide. So at that point, like that night, I had three other business partners. We were actually standing outside our half-completed store and we were asked to make that decision. Do we actually close down and not open up or do we take that leap of faith and have confidence in our own ability and our model and try and stick it to them. At that point, we decided to give it a go and it was a career-changing moment because it made us improve faster than what we would have done in any other situation, but it was just for us to survive. And from that instance, we knew that we could compete against the best and then from that stage, we started our national rollout. Fantastic. Sounds like it was a, a very pivotal moment in the, in the journey. You guys have grown awfully quickly. You're, like you said, you're circa 300 million turnover, which is phenomenal from a startup not that long ago. You talked about the benefits of systemization to enable scale. What else have you done to sort of create a formula for growth or success? So the systems and procedures is a very important thing, but... The way I look at it, and a lot of people often ask, what do I think are the key elements of success? I bring it down to three basic things. Passion, persistence, and people. So I love what I do, and I think in any industry, often that you find people that succeed are the ones that are really passionate about that industry because it makes it just so easy to go to work each day. Persistence, like you can't give up because in our industry, it's highly regulated, there's a lot of things that have to align for something to be successful. So you can't give up. you always got to try because there are a lot of things that we've tried that haven't come off for years. So you never give up and make sure that you persist in everything. And I think the most important is people because you can't do everything yourself. So initially as you start out, you think that 
you're the only one that can do it as well as you do. But you soon realize that you're just limited. And you, often people can do a much better job if you can empower them to actually do their role. The people that you choose to surround yourself with have to share a common vision. As long as you're aligned and as long as you believe in the same things, I think that you'll get to that destination a lot faster. I'm going to take the question now to more of a personal level. Um, you've achieved a lot, um, much more than a lot of people would ever dream of. But why has Anthony Yep been so successful? Take your, your humble hat off for a moment and I'm going to put a caveat in here, mate. Yeah. I've asked this question of one other person, being your wife, Han. So I'm going to compare your answer okay. with hers. So that's the caveat. So over to you. I reckon she would have said persistence, never give up. And even in our personal story, I never gave up one now <laughs> chasing her. So I would be surprised if she said anything else. Yeah. But I think that... What else would you personally say? Or was Anthony up successful? I reckon it is the persistent. I yeah. think that just a never give up attitude, if you get knocked down get up again because there's been plenty of times in my career where it's looked not so good but you get up again and it's how you respond to those challenges that ultimately define where you end up and I think in any person's business career there are many ups and downs and it's very rare to actually find somebody that is just all the way up so I've had multiple challenges but I think you get up you look back at what you've done before, look at what you've overcome before. So nothing is insurmountable, but you just got to do it a little bit at a time. Now, well, fantastic answer. And you'll be pleased to know the first bullet point I've got here in Han's answer is persistence. So there you go. spot on. So, <laughs> so the other things that she added and similar sort of style is determination, focus, doesn't let things go. And I love this quote. I love this quote. <laughs> doesn't settle for a no until he gets a yes. That's in line with obviously persistence, yeah. so I think that's awesome. And she also stated that while she didn't know you at the age of five, your mum passed on that it's just who you are. You were selling budgies from the age of five yeah. for a profit at school <laughs> or whatever, so obviously it's been in your blood. So so I thought I was selling at a profit. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't take into account all the free sort of food that my parents were buying the budgies and stuff, so I think overall it was a massive loss-making so exercise. The, P, the P&L in retrospect wasn't looking was quite not as good. good at all. No, so, so that's good. I understand you achieved your 10-year plan in nine years. What were your keys to success and, and how clearly did you see your 10-year vision at the start? So the 10-year vision was something that was loosely put together by the partners and our accounting firm just to give us some visibility of where we thought it would go. I think the key to achieving the business plan is just to take it steady because we were never a group that wanted to just get numbers for numbers sake. We always wanted to do steady growth of maybe between four to six and then six to eight stores a year. And if we didn't achieve that in some years, it didn't matter because we'd overachieve in others. But it was very, very steady. We didn't go out there just for numbers sake, just to look good. That's why we've done it, just step by step slowly. Because there's a lot of other brands that have probably got more numbers than us in a much shorter time. But inevitably, there are a lot of problems that come with that as well. And was there a formula that you had 
where you got to that hurdle where you would then open another store? Like what, what had to be in place to say, right, now's the time to open that next store? There's no set rule, mm. but I think if the, if the store is right and if it ticks all the boxes, it's something that you're going to dive into. Mm-hmm. So as you grow, I think there are particular inflection points where you've then got to also improve back office systems to go to that next step. So I think we're sort of at that point at this point in time. So we're at 50 stores. So that's another massive growth phase for us where we've got to make sure that everything is right in the back office before we're going to go on that next step of expansion. Yep, to enable that sort of next uh, phase of growth. I want to talk to you about uh, your decision to take on an equity partner not that long ago. Talk to us around why you made that decision. A couple of years ago, we sold 25% of our brand to the eBoss Group which owns one of the wholesalers. So the reason behind that is we got to a certain state and a certain size. For us to go to that next level, we needed to make sure that we partnered with the right people. So that facilitated and helped us grow. By getting into the EBOS Symbian Stable, it actually gave us access to a lot more pharmacists, so in terms of networking, etc., where we could potentially get referrals to actually convert stores into the good price brand. So it wasn't just a, uh, a capital requirement, it, was, it also enabled a faster rate of growth. Correct, so in theory. So yeah. we're working on that, so we're putting together the next stage of our business growth, and I think there are a lot of opportunities over the next few years. Absolutely. You mentioned before that uh, you're a passionate person. A uh, question for you is, how do you stay energised in your role year on year. I mean, you've been through good times, no doubt some challenges. How do you continue to stay energised in your role? I think you've got to continue to do new things. So you've got to continue to evolve the business and I think that's one thing that we've been relatively good at. There's always something new that we're looking at or trialling. So it sort of keeps you interested because you're not doing the same thing. I think there are always going to be times in your career where you feel down on it. And I think that if you continue to look at new things, it takes your mind off it because not everything's going to be a success. You're going to have losers in there, but if you try hard enough and you keep persisting, there's going to be a cracker in there somewhere. I I, I agree. There's been moments when I'll probably become maybe a little bit stale, but uh, new projects, new opportunities to sort of double down. I I think it sort of ignites that entrepreneurial spirit again. And energises you. I think sometimes the BAU can be a little bit predictable. Yep. So to do something new, it just sort of energises you. Yeah. And I think once you get that success, it instills a lot of confidence. So I think confidence is a big thing because the industry constantly changes. So you constantly question whether or not you're staying ahead of your competitors. So I think when you get those small wins, and if you're yeah. trying hard enough, you're going to get some small wins. It's going to just build that confidence up to do even bigger and better things. Absolutely. I'm going to take the conversation towards challenges. You, you talked before that you faced a few of them yep. in your journey to date. Can you share any of those challenges and, and how you've dealt with them and what you've learned from them? Yeah. So 2004 was, I think, when we faced Chemist Warehouse at our first site. So that challenge taught me to believe in yourself, believe in what you're doing, and never give up. Probably the second challenge that we faced was in 2007 where we had a partnership disillusion we had started the company with four uni friends uh, including myself so Han, myself and two other friends and I think 
even though you start off with the same vision to begin with, as you get older, everyone's priorities change and everyone's circumstances change. So not everyone is always aligned. And the one thing that I took away from that is that partnerships obviously can work in different ways. Often they fail. The most important thing is if you ever go into a partnership, make sure you have a really good partnership agreement with an exit strategy. It also taught me that if you can do things alone, it's probably better to go it alone because if you've got multiple personalities involved, at some stage they want to drive the business as well. And I think that not everyone works the same way. Do you think if you had a bit more confidence and also capital in the beginning, you would have just done it on your own perhaps? In retrospect, yes. Yep. If I look back, yep. yes. But I think at the time... It made sense. It made sense because everyone wanted to achieve the same thing. Yeah. And it's so, nice to share the journey, right? It is absolutely great to share the journey. And one of the greatest things about our journey is that you could share it with a core team of people. Our first employee is still with us Wow. when we first started. That's 17 years ago. That's cool. So we've got over 30 people that have been with the business for over 10 years. It's crazy. And when you look back, uh, it's interesting to see how everyone's grown from that because 10 years is a while so I'm going to jump on that how do you create a culture that people don't want to leave or perhaps put a, a better way that they want to be part of it that's a million dollar question I think everyone, <laughs> what's the magic there everyone everyone looks to trying to achieve that but I think that if you create an environment which allows people to continue to develop I think that that's quite important things like pay obviously is important working conditions but I think that if you've got a vision and people can see that they're going places, that's a lot of incentive for them to actually stay. And if they can be and feel a part of something, then I think you've done pretty well. Yeah, I agree. I think you get that extra level of engagement and the discretionary effort. Yep. And obviously they enjoy being part of the business, don't they? So. And the great stores, so because we've got multiple businesses, uh, as in the stores, the great stores that perform well are the ones where the team stay together for mm. a while because mm. they obviously work well together. They enjoy coming to work. They're passionate about what they do. And that just flows through to the bottom line. Absolutely. Moving the conversation from business to what you do outside of business, what do you do for fun? Recently, I took part in a boxing match <laughs> like yourself, <laughs> which was crazy. <laughs> I'm into fitness. So I like going to the gym, having a run, studying uh, AFL. So just some nines. So that is what I do to really sort of take my mind off stuff. Love going to the kids' AFL matches. So I've got a six-year-old and a seven-year-old. So just watching them and get it, watching them get engaged in sports and activities also takes my mind off things. So it gives me a chance to relax. Good, good. And you, you do that uh, obviously for fun, but you do that as a bit of a mechanism to unplug from the intensity or focus that is work. Yeah, I think when you run, you get a lot of clarity when you're by yourself because you've got a lot of time to think. And I guess the fitter you get, the longer you get to think because yeah, you can yeah, go yeah. longer. Yep. So I've just got to work my way up to getting a little bit fitter so I can think a bit more clearly. <laughs> well, clearly it's working uh, pretty well so far. So I, I want to sort of just take that a little bit further and ask you if you've got any rituals or habits that you do to get the most out of every day or put another way, you know, what does a average day look like for Anthony? Yeah? 
I don't think I set out to do anything in particular. I get up relatively early, six or seven o'clock, play with the kids for a bit, yeah. come in early, yeah. have a coffee, yeah. and then go about my general day. Mondays and Fridays, I'm usually at the office. Yep. Tuesday to Thursdays, I'm usually traveling throughout the stores and just talking to the teams at the stores. Yep. Are you a, a list maker or is there anything else that you do at the start of the day or start of the week to, to get a bit of focus about what the priorities are? Or I am definitely a list maker. Yep. So I'm definitely a write down and tick off type of person. I think everything is documented and I'm always a week in advance. A good takeaways there. We talked before about the fact that you work with your wife and you've managed to complement one another at work and also managed to be husband and wife outside of work. How have you managed to, I guess, create a healthy dynamic in that regard? Easier said than done. I think working with a significant other is always challenging, but for Han and I, we've worked in different areas of the business. We sort of leave each other alone <laughs> in, in that sort of respect. Yep. I think it's an unsaid rule. She thinks that I'm the boss at work and she's the boss at home. <laughs> so I think that works like out it. well. So I don't argue at home. Yeah. And so she doesn't argue at work. So it sort of works out pretty well. Yeah, no, fantastic. Good, uh, good rules of racing there. I like that. I often remember that uh, for me when I go home tonight for my wife. So, so, that's, uh, so that's good. Um, we talked about the fact that you've got a young family. You've got two young boys. You've got a fast-growing national business. Uh, how do you manage work-life harmony? That's a, that's a tough one because I, I travel a lot. I work quite hard during the week, so I'm always in Brisbane, though, from Friday to Monday. So the weekends are important. That's time where I really get to spend a lot of time with the kids. We'll be at AFL, we'll be kicking the ball around, we'll be going on jogs. That's family time. And whenever I'm in Brisbane, I make an effort to be back at home by 5.30 so that I can actually get the kids soon after they finish their activities in the afternoon and we can do something. I make sure I put them to bed if I'm if I'm there. Oh, that's good. And you'll often maybe pick up work after that, perhaps. And definitely you've got stuff up, that you want to Yeah, so definitely pick up off. work after that. Get in some exercise, then back at work, making sure that uh, I uh, finish off whatever is left unread. So I'm one of those people that at the end of the day, the email inbox has to be clear. Yeah, no, no. I understand where you come from. It's a good practice to get in. You've. Uh, you, you look after a large number of staff, you talked about before, uh, a really significant business. You mentioned before about the benefits of running, the clarity you get. How else do you personally manage stress? How do I manage stress? I think that's pretty much it. I think exercise is, is my great release. Yeah. So, But I think also having people around you that you can sort of bounce things off, that understand you know, what you're sort of going through, uh, is important and I think Han's been a very good support over the years so she's always been there since the beginning of our business and she knows the troubles and the challenges that we've had so it's always great to have that support where somebody always tries to pick you up if they know that you're down yep yep so that sort of sounding board or someone that you can sort of download on or, or get their perspective uh, further to the release and the stress release that is exercise yep yep uh, fantastic. Bit of a philosophical question, I guess. How do you personally define success and how do you manage your own expectations given that you're so driven? If you're passionate about what you do, you're succeeding because you're still loving like what you do on a day-to-day basis. That should hopefully flow through to the numbers. Uh, 
And I think in every business, I think everyone starts off in business to make some sort of money or to make some sort of life. So I think as long as the numbers keep going up and you continue to grow, I think that's a success in, in anyone's language. Absolutely. And it seems like you're also managing the importance or the value of being around for your kids and traveling during the week and spending the weekend at home and those sorts of things, being home for 5.30 to spend time with the kids and get to bed as opposed to being this driven leader who's a bit of an absent father. Getting that balance is, is great. And I think, especially at the age that my boys are at at the moment, you want to be involved in it because they really value having parents around, especially you know at their games or you know at their trainings. So they, I think, are inspired when they do well and they get that approval from their parents. And that's the one thing I really enjoy. Absolutely. They say emotional intelligence is a key aspect of great leaders. How have you invested in, in better understanding yourself or getting the best out of yourself? I think I've got a long way to go. <laughs> but I think self-awareness is a good start. And I think uh, over the last couple of years, I've been a lot more self-aware of what my effect and what my actions are on others. And I think you can't change things overnight because some of those habits have just been with you forever. But I think if you're aware of them, you can work on it each time that it happens to try and get a little bit better. For everyone, or definitely for myself, I've got a long way to go and it's a continual process. But I'm definitely aware where I negatively impact people and it's somewhere that I would always try and work upon. What are some of those traits that on reflection haven't always been the most positive ones? Like say, the, the I'm quick to act. Sure. So sometimes... So impulsive... Very impulsive, which can come across as abruptness. Sure. And as I was younger, I'd be quick to act on everything. Sure. So as part of this whole self-awareness, I make sure that if I'm agitated or annoyed about something, I'll wait for 24 hours before I send off an email. And if I still want to send off an email or have a tough conversation, after 24 hours, I'll do it. And often you don't ever have to do that. Yep. No, that's uh, fantastic. I mean, it sort of just maybe strips out the emotional charge to the, the emotional, scenario, right? The emotional charge can be very, very negative in certain aspects because you're not thinking straight. You don't think with any clarity. And it's important to be able to step back from the situation, look at it from the other person's point of view and get an understanding of why they might have done it. You've got a beautiful family. You've achieved a lot. Uh, my question to you is what's the vision of the legacy uh, you're aiming to achieve if we talk about legacy I would say that what I would ultimately like to do is create a brand that would stand the test of time it would last for a few generations don't know whether or not that will happen it is something that we will try our hardest to achieve but uh, only time will tell and what about I mean I think you're well on your way there and I think you, you probably uh if you allow yourself the, to, to, to be uh, not as humble as you are, I think you're well on your way to achieving that. So congratulations on that. But what do you want your boys to say about that? I would like to say that if they were to say anything and reflect on what uh, our time together would be, is that they would say that I'd be a good father. Yep. So that would be important. No, fantastic, mate. I think you're... You're definitely doing that as well. 
I'm going to take a retrospective view and you're certainly not old by any stretch of the imagination. You've won a lot of uh, young entrepreneur awards and whatnot. If you were to sit down with that 23-year-old that kicked off with that $50,000 in startup capital, what piece of advice would you share with that individual knowing what you know now? So I would say don't be afraid to take a chance. Believe in yourself and make sure that you never give up. You're going to get tough times throughout your career, no matter who you are. Make sure that you stay steady and just take it a step at a time. Uh, Anthony, that concludes our podcast today, but congratulations on everything you've achieved. Uh, I've certainly admired what you've done from afar. You've inspired me, and I'm sure you know the podcast today will leave uh, a bunch of other people inspired. Uh, really impressed with what you've achieved. So congratulations and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for thinking of including me because looking at some of your uh, other people that you've interviewed, it's a great alumni there. So I feel very honoured to be able to sit down and have a chat. No, thanks very much, Anthony. Thank you. Cheers.